0: While they're making their way out, let me invite you to grab your copy of God's Word, or maybe you're watching at home and you want to turn on your device, or maybe you have a device here to turn on. I heard a, a preacher say one time, it's okay to have electronic Bible. Just remember, solitaire ain't found in Scripture, all right? And so you pull out your Bible and look with me at First John. First John, we're working our way through the book of First John. In a pure biological sense, your heart is just a muscle. It's a muscle that pumps blood through your body. It it gets the blood throughout the, the vascular system of your body. But in our vernacular and in human history, we have often given the heart much more than just a biological definition. We think about the heart as the centerpiece of what we feel, what we believe, our moral compass, our conviction. We even work this terminology into our life. If we see a, a young man give a, a great battle on a sports field, we might say he, he gave his heart. He, he worked hard or that young lady has got heart. She did great. She, she had courage. We might even say when we have a dilemma or a problem or we feel sad or maybe when we handed that young lady in fifth grade that note that said check yes or no and she circled no and starred it and made a point to make sure you saw no. I'm not talking of personal advice here, all right? Your heart is crushed. So you might say My heart is broken, right? We know that that doesn't mean the physical muscle is broken. We mean the emotions, the feelings. We often live by our heart. The problem is, is that our heart, when we think of it as the centerpiece of our compass, our emotions, our feelings, we have to be reminded that our heart will lie to us. It will deceive us. Feelings won't often match The truth, the facts may be different than how we feel. I'll give you an example. I've given you the example many times over our 10 years together. But my wife and I were married in Excel Baptist Church on August the 3rd. 3rd in 2002 I got it right that time on camera August the 3rd 2002 it was 4,000 degrees in South Alabama the service lasted 20 hours long everybody and their mama had to sing she had 4,000 flower girls I don't understand I just wanted it to be over right So we get through the service, we walk out the back of the church, we're going to sneak around for a few more pictures, we're grinning from ear to ear, she's grinning even bigger because she got this in the deal, right? And so then she, I say to her, man, this, this feels different, this feels weird, do you feel married? And she said, no. I said, we better run this thing again. 45 minutes? A a ring that I spent four summers cobbling together 20 bucks to buy? We, We better do this again. But we were married. The feelings and the facts didn't match. Jeremiah would tell us this about our heart. He would say in Jeremiah chapter 17 as he heard from the Lord these words, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our heart will lie to us. And one of the ways in which our heart will lie to us, predominantly in the Christian faith, is where we are with God. And what I mean by that is simply this. We can oftentimes, because of sin, because of struggle, because of our own fleshly desires, because of the infinite God that we're studying in His Scripture, we can oftentimes, as Christians, as believers, as followers of God, we can oftentimes find ourselves... Feeling like we're not doing very good. I'm not on the right path. God's not pleased with me. I'm I'm not sure. Our faith can become very wobbly because our feelings can convince us that we're not right with God. We can sometimes, as we sing, not necessarily know the blessed assurance day after day after day. We can feel fragile in our faith. That's exactly what John will deal with in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 19 through 24, he will deal with simply this. I'll I'll give it to you in this title. Living with confidence when your faith feels weak. Living with confidence when your faith feels weak. When you feel like your Christian legs are wobbling, how can you stand firm in your faith? What should we do? Join me in your copy of God's Word. Let me read to you our passage for this morning as we make our way through this letter of John. We're going to be in John... First uh, John chapter 3, starting in verse 19, and we'll read there through the end of the chapter, verse 24. Listen to what the apostle records to the church. And this we shall know, that we are of the truth, and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because he, we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandments, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And this we know, that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Let's pray together. Father... Help us, Lord, understand uh, and and be strengthened by and and confess to you this morning that, Lord, oftentimes our faith wobbles. We struggle. Lord, we can find ourselves falling into sin and guilt can grip us and and Satan can whisper in our ear, "We're, we're not worthy anymore, God doesn't love us. Father, we can face decisions and we don't think you answered them the way you should have and we can begin to doubt that you care and our faith can wobble. We can be in a conversation or read something in Scripture and it's not what we thought we believed and it can cause us to to wobble. There are many ways in which our fallen heart can deceive us. And so Lord, this morning I pray You would help us know what to do by the truth of your word when our faith feels weak. When our heart turns against us. Lord, show us the facts from scripture. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's pretty clear if you walk through the letter of John why John is writing this way at the end of chapter 3. He has been dealing with a church that's very fragile. They are very broken. They've had a group of people, and we've discussed this many times, that came into the church and kind of took over leadership and began to teach things that were not of the apostles' teaching, that were false about Christ, that were false about sin, and then they left the church. You can read in chapter 2, it says they went out from us and they did not return. They, they left the church, and so what's left behind is this fragile group of believers that's been attacked by wolves, false teachers, antichrist, as John would refer to them, and they're now trying to figure out what does real Christianity look like? What does faith look like? How how do I know if I'm doing the right thing? How do I know if I'm living the right way? How can I be confident that that God is pleased with me? And so they're they're very shaky in their faith. And, And we've all been in this place as we walk with the Lord. How can I know I'm living right? How can I know I'm going the right way? How can I know God is pleased with me. And so John writes to them, and he's been writing to them about how they can tell if they're real believers. In chapter one, he says a real believer is one who believes in Christ, that he really came, that he really died, that he really rose from the grave. You remember John says in chapter one, we saw him, we touched him, we know that he is the Savior. And then he says in chapter one, that those who have met Christ will run from darkness, run from sin, and run, in chapter two, to righteousness. And then he gets into chapter 3 and he says, here's the other way. And so he's basically kind of giving us the marks of a Christian. A Christian will confess Jesus is Lord, God in the flesh. A Christian will run from sin and away from darkness into light. A Christian will then, chapter 3, love one another. You will see it in their love. So he's giving these, these markers of the faith. Well, here's the question. What happens when I blow one of those markers? What happens when he says a real Christian loves believers and you get on my nerves and I walk away and don't help you that day? What happens when I blow it? What happens when the real Christian's supposed to run from sin, but I've been wallowing in it? What am I supposed to think then? What, if I, what am I supposed to do with my faith? What happens? Notice what he says in verse 19. He says, by this we shall know. Now, he's summing up all of this truth. By this we shall know. We shall know what? By what? Well, go back up with me just to verse 16. You'll see what I mean. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's the gospel. That's Christ. This is our example. Now, look at verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And then verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. You see the argument John's making? You want to be confident before the Lord, you're going to run from sin, confess Jesus, and love people. And you'll be confident before the Lord. The problem is, we don't always do that. The problem is we don't always live up to that. The problem is we don't always run from sin. The problem is we don't always love people the way we're supposed to. The problem is we don't always stand boldly and confess Christ every time we should. The problem is we fail. And so what happens? Look at verse 20. Here's what he says happens. For whenever our hearts condemn us, there it is. There's the first clause that he will give us. He will say this. I'm talking to a group of people who often mess up, who often feel fragile, who are often wobbly in their faith because of the decisions they have made. And that wobbliness, not a word, but hey, I'm a doctor. The wobbliness, right, of the faith, right? The wobbliness that will cause us to feel in our heart we're not pleasing to God. And we begin to condemn ourselves. So I want to tell you this morning how you can avoid living with a wobbly faith, how you can live with confidence when your faith feels weak. Here, here's how you do it. Truth number one, when your faith feels fragile, remember the facts. When your faith feels fragile, remember the the facts. Look with me at 19 and 20 again. Let me show you what what the apostle John is doing. He's, He's arguing for us. He says in verse 19, you shall know that you are of the truth and reassure your hearts before him. You know what you're supposed to do. And when you do it, your heart is reassured. It's persuaded that you're going the right way. But then he says in verse 20, but our heart, notice what he says, verse 20, for whenever our hearts condemn us, When the facts and the feelings cross paths, I feel like I'm losing it. I feel like I'm not where God wants me to be. I feel like God doesn't love me. I'm guilty. I'm broken. I'm separated. I feel like my faith is falling apart. I feel like I'm holding on by a thread. I feel like I'm struggling and this struggle that I have just points out the fact that I'm really not doing right by God. And I feel like God may have even decided to write me off to move on to other super Christians who are doing it better. To work out with other people who are really following him. He's just kind of given up on me. He's put me over here in the category of not very good faith. I don't want to give that person any more of my divine time. That's how I may feel. But notice how he finishes verse 20. I want you to see how facts always override feeling. Look at verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us. Listen now, don't miss this. God is greater than our heart. Oh, brothers and sisters, listen to what John is doing. John says, listen, oftentimes we may feel like a basket case, but that does not change the facts that God loves us. That does not change the facts that God has sway over our fallen heart. That does not change the facts that God is great. And, and notice what he says at the last part of that verse. And he knows everything you know what that means he knows that I'm a basket case he knows I'm falling apart he knows I'm hanging on by a thread he knows I'm angry upset wallowing in sin in need of revival he knows all of that but it doesn't change the fact that he's great and good and loving and so what does John do John says listen to me now when your feelings say one thing go back to the facts Go back to the truth that is unchanged. Go back to the scripture that describes for us the goodness of God regardless of our feelings. Now we know how these facts work. I told you that funny story of me and Wendy being wed, but I can think of it in a lot of ways. I can think of my children who sit down and say, well, I felt like that was the right answer on the test. I don't care how you felt, that was wrong, right? That's not the facts. You might say to me, well, I feel like I can fly, I'm going to climb up to the roof. Well, I'm going to sell tickets, we're going to raise money because your facts and feelings are about to get in trouble, right? It doesn't match, it's not there. We, we may feel one way, but the facts are not there. You, you may feel like when you're at the fair, the funnel cake calories don't count. That ain't the facts, brothers and sisters. You may feel like 12 cozy dogs won't make you sick. That ain't the facts, brothers and sisters. Well, this is what the Lord is doing for us. He understands that we are wobbly and shaky and we move from one way or the other and we can we can start to think to ourselves, God doesn't love me, I'm shame. I'm terrible, I can't seem to get this right, everybody else seems to be getting together. Or we might be thinking, God, where are you? God, I don't understand why you let this happen. I don't understand why you're not listening to my prayers. We can get overwhelmed with our feelings. And what John says is when your heart starts to wobble, when your feelings start to get fragile, start preaching to yourself the facts. Go back to Scripture. Now, those of us who have been married for any period of time, we know that facts matter in a marriage. There are times where our feelings tell us, I'm about to drive and drive and drive, and I might come back by the end of the week, right? But the facts are, we've made a covenant. We've made an agreement. I'll be back. That's the facts of the situation. And so this is what John is doing in our faith. He's saying this. Now, look again at verse twenty. God is greater than our hearts. What a wonderful thing to hear. What a beautiful thing to hear. What, a, what an overwhelming truth now. That when we walk and follow God, we may often feel one way, but the facts say God is better than than our heart. What are the facts? Well, here are the facts in a simple, bowled-down situation. You are a sinner separated from God. I am a sinner separated from God. My sin has condemned me. God has every right to throw me away. He can build an ark and put Himself in it, and everyone else should be judged because of their sin. But, but, the facts are that God loved us in such a way that He sent His only Son to die for us. That on the cross of Calvary, the facts declare that God got in Involved in our sin. And that God rescued us from our sin. And the facts declare that yet while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And so what are the facts? Lord, my feelings feel terrible. But the facts are you are a good and gracious God who loves your people. The facts are, for as many as believed in him and have received him, they have the right to be called sons and daughters of God. And you know, the rest of that verse does not say until your heart messes up and then he kicks you out of the family. That's not what it says. The facts are neither height nor depth, as we sang earlier, can separate us from the love of God. The facts are God is with his people i'm reminded of psalm 42 and 43 where the psalmist says i'm panting for you lord like the deer pants for water how long O lord will i be separated from you how long will i not get to worship with you if you were to go and read psalm 42 and 43 the psalmist is writing about a dry season a season where his feelings are overwhelming him a season where he can't seem to find god but if you notice in psalm 42 and 43 he repeats himself about four or five times and he says my soul will worship you In fact, he actually says to himself, and I quote, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you believing your feelings? Because God has not changed. I'm so thankful that God has given us feelings. They are good. They are exciting. I know many of you yesterday watching football, your feelings went up and down and up and down. And it's a good thing. It it brings spice to life. You enjoy a, a, a good movie that draws you to tears. You enjoy a good laughter that, that makes you it's not even be able to form a word. you belly laughing so hard. right? We, we enjoy those things. But we often know that our feelings can be deceptive. They can be broken. And what does John say? When your faith and your feelings start to wobble, remember the facts. We do not look into our hearts to find security. We look into God to find security. We do not look internally into our feelings to determine whether or not we are right with God. We look to God and His promises to determine that we are right with Him. He has declared us right by His truth. William Barclay put it this way. He simply said this, It is the very knowledge of God which gives us our hope. I may feel one way, but when I start thinking about God, the facts have sway over my feelings. Brothers and sisters, when your faith is wobbling, remember the facts. Truth number two that John will tell the church, he will say simply this. When your faith feels puny, remember to pray. You, you notice what I did here, right? I went real Adrian Rogers on these. They're all rhyming, right? When, you're, when your faith feels puny, remember to pray. Look with me at the next two verses, what John does here. He says these words in verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Now verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what is pleasing to him. Now, verse 22 is a contrast, uh, excuse me, verse 21, sorry, is a contrast to verse 19 and 20. Our heart makes us feel condemned, our feelings are telling us that we're not worthy, we, we feel wobbly in our faith, and then we start to think about the facts, we remember that God loves us, we remember that in spite of our sin, He sent Jesus for us, we remember that He's promised to hold us, that He will deliver us, that the shepherd leads a sheep home, that heaven is for us, that Jesus doesn't drop anybody that He picks up, so the facts start to help us feel better, and then we get to verse 22, and He says, and now that our hearts are not condemned, now that we're understanding that we're not condemned, we can pray." And and ask for whatever we want, and He will answer it. Now, let's stop there. If we're not careful, we can read this as a a la carte type of approach to prayer. We can just go to God with whatever we want, and we can ask it because we now have this confidence, but the confidence doesn't come because we've done something. Notice again where our confidence comes from. I approach God because He has sway over my heart. I do not approach God because somehow or another God deserves to hear from me. Or I have merited the right to stand before the infinite God. That is not why I'm coming to God. John would say that we come to God because He is great. And He knows all things. And He has sway over our heart. And here's the wonderful truth. Don't miss this. Do you realize that right now, if you wanted to talk to the Queen of England, it wouldn't happen? If you wanted to get the, the president on the phone, it, it wouldn't happen. You might catch him through Twitter every once in a while at four in the morning, but it won't happen on the phone. You can't even get to the, probably the police chief of Selma without going through a couple of, of secretaries or places along the way because people of positions have to, have to limit who they're allowed to talk to. But, but do you realize what John is saying? That because God loves us, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the sovereign God who placed the stars and knows them by name, who stops the ocean waves and clothes the flowers and feeds the birds, the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, says to us, because of His love, come talk to me. Come commune with me. I want to hear from you brothers and sisters he now says because we have confidence the writer of hebrews would put it this way he would say in hebrews chapter 4 let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need with confidence now we come before the lord and with that confidence what do we do with that confidence now that we've been invited to the king just like esther was allowed into the king what do we do now with that invitation we pray the king of all kings has invited me into his presence. And now he says, ask me and I will answer. But let's drive into this for just a moment. Because what are we supposed to ask? Well, according to verse 22, notice what it says. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Well, okay. All right. Lord, I could use a new truck. I wouldn't mind if my kids would go to bed on time. Right? I could, I could use that. I, I could, I, could you make this person move to New Delhi, right? Like, I, I come on, some of y'all prayed that. Watch out now. You know, he says whatever I want, I can ask and he will give it to me. If we're not careful, we certainly can read this and become part of the prosperity theology that we see plaguing our culture. We would often refer to it as name it and claim it. If I say it, God will give it to me. Let, let me let you in on a little secret. If God answers all your prayers, you're God and he's not. If God answers all your prayers, he's just a genie in a bottle, and now you're the sovereign one making the decisions. And God doesn't answer all of our prayers. I think of the great philosopher Garth Brooks. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers, right? A hundred years from now, they'll look back on Garth Brooks and go, what a poet, he should have written scripture, right? No, I'm just kidding. The idea is is that, that, that God doesn't answer all of our prayers. So what are we to take from this? Notice what he says in the rest of the verse. He says... Verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive. Okay, God will answer us because he has sway over our heart. He's made us his children. We get to approach him. So what are we to ask? But notice the second part of the verse. Because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. Boy, that changes prayer, doesn't it? I I go from being flippant in front of the sovereign God begging for the stuff that I want to help me to being humbly before the God who has allowed me into His presence by the blood of His Son, and I want to please Him and honor Him. So my prayer goes from a litany of a list of things that I think I want to a now a list that says, God, what would you have of me that would make me please you even more? God, what would you want to do in my life that I may honor you even more? The King of Kings has invited me in. Oh, that I would pray a prayer that would honor Him. It moves from selfish indulgence to sacrificial worship. God, what would you have of me? He'll flesh this out a little further. I'll give it to you on the screen, but you could flip the page in 1 John chapter 5. He'll flesh this out a little further, and he'll say, and this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything, here it is, according to his will, he hears us. And we know that He hears us and whatever we ask. We know that we have requests that we have asked of Him. So, so there He is kind of sharpening down this idea that when we pray according to His will, He will give us what we want. But think about the context that John is dealing with. Lord, my faith is wobbly. I'm confused. I'm feeling like You don't care. You're not here. You don't love me. I, I don't know how to deal with this issue. Lord, where are You? So now John says, when you feel that way, start to pray. Ask God to help you understand how can you please Him? How can you follow Him? How can you see His hand in the midst of this darkness? How can you be steady in your faith? Pray with confidence in how you can better please, look at the rest of the verse, please Him. You know John is only teaching what he heard from Jesus. John is only teaching what he as an apostle traveling with Jesus would have heard in John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. This is what we read. He says, well, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name. This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, that does not mean, Lord, help me win the lottery in Jesus' name, right? That's not what that means. I heard a pastor say one time, he got through preaching, and this little old lady walked to the back of the church and was shaking the preacher's hand and said, Preacher, pray for me, I'm going to Biloxi. Satan's had that money long enough. (laughs) That preacher said he did all he could to say, and if you win it, Satan will still have it. That's not what it means. To pray in Jesus' name means to be submissive and following the name above names and to pray in such a manner that would honor the King that invites us in. When your favorite grandmother invites you over to her house, you don't bust in the door demanding things. You bust in the door with tenderness and love and the first thing you say is, Grandmama, what can I do to help? What do you need me to do today to make this organizational event of our family work? That's the concept. Father, what can I do today? How can I do And here's the great thing about the text. Don't miss this. My, my father and I have a great relationship. I, I love my father. And we probably talk. Uh, Four to 500 times a week, whether it be by text or phone call. We'll talk about the weather, the game, a funny story. We'll talk about ministry. We'll talk about how I'm a better dad than he was. We discuss all those things. But you know what? My father will always answer the phone when I call him because I know he loves me. Our father will always answer the prayer when we Call unto Him because He loves us and He wants what's best for us. So, brothers and sisters, when your faith seems wobbly, don't run from God. Run to Him. Don't don't run away from God. Run, Run deeper in. Lord, help me. I don't see it. I don't understand. Father, please. John says, when your faith is puny, pray. Finally, let me give you the third one from the text. When your faith... When your faith feels anemic, remember to abide. When your faith feels anemic, when it feels weak, when it feels sick, when it feels undernourished, remember to abide. Abide is that gospel word, that God word. It comes from Jesus telling us in John 15 that we are to abide in Him and bear much fruit. But notice how John the Apostle will use the term. Look with me at the last two verses of the chapter, verse 23. And this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. Did you catch it? Abiding in God equals obedience to God. Abiding in God equals doing what God has called you to do. It means walking out the faith that you claim to have. But, but I want you to notice something interesting. Look at verse 23. The word commandment is singular. But it appears to be two commandments. He says, and this is his commandment, singular, that we believe in the name of Jesus, excuse me, believe in his son Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded, singular, us. Now when you read that, it seems like John left off an S in his Greek language. It seems like he should have said, here's the commandments, love the son Jesus and love your neighbor. But to John, he says, no, no, no. This is one commandment. This is two sides of the same coin. If you confess to know Jesus Christ, you will love the people of the family of God. And if you confess and show love to the people of God in a proper way, it will give evidence that you know Christ. You cannot do one without the other. Show me a Christian who says, I love the Lord Jesus, but I don't care for people and I'll show you a liar. Show me someone who says, well, I don't really have to know Jesus, but if I just feed the poor, I'll be right with God. And I'll show you someone who's missed the gospel. John says these are together. They go hand in hand. And I want you to notice for just a moment the gospel in it, and then we'll get to the closing part. Look at the verse. He says that we believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Just that phrase. His son, Jesus Christ, is packed with theological truth. First, we hear his son. When you hear the Bible say His Son, you should be reminded that the God of all glory gave up His one and only Son. When we hear His Son, we hear grace. When we hear His Son, we hear sacrifice. When we hear His Son, we read what's in 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 16 and 17, that He would lay down His life for us. When we read His Son, we read about a God who looked down on our sin and our struggle and our separation, and instead of saying, I don't want you, He said, I love you so much, I'll send my one and only Son, the prized Prince of Heaven, to go and die for you. Brothers and sisters, when we read His Son in Scripture, we should be overwhelmed with the fact that God loves us. No matter how you feel about your faith, remember this, God sent His Son. God sent His Son. But then notice what else? We hear the titles. Jesus Christ. Now why do we hear those titles? Jesus is His earthly name. It was given to him by his mother and father at the birth in Bethlehem, his earthly father, by the birth in Bethlehem, because the angel told them, this is what you will name him. Jesus is his earthly name. It comes from the Hebrew Joshua, Joshua, which means rescuer, savior, deliverer. But it's his earthly name. And why is this important? Because when we see the name of Jesus, we are reminded that Jesus was a man. That he ate, that he slept, that he got hungry, that he talked to people, that he walked, that he was truly in the flesh. And John would say in chapter 1, we saw him, we touched him, he's real. Why does this matter to my weak faith? Because when I get wobbly, I can be reminded that my Jesus knows what it's like. My Jesus took on flesh and walked among us. My Jesus slept on a pillow like Corey does. My Jesus prayed to the Father, Father, please, if there's another way, remove this cup. My Jesus dealt with friends who betrayed Him. My Jesus dealt with crowds who wouldn't believe Him. My Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews would say, took on flesh in order to become the perfect high priest. So when I think about the name of Jesus, I think about one who became like us. But then notice the second and last title, Christ. Christ is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. Christ is divine. Christ is from heaven. There are no Christs among us. There is but one Christ, one deliverer, one Messiah, the very God in the flesh, the God-man who came to rescue us. So notice just in this verse what John is doing. He is saying when your faith is fragile, when you feel weak, when you feel uncertain, when you feel lost, when you're not sure if God is pleased with you, remember this, God sent His Son from heaven who took on flesh and bore the curse for us and he is the Messiah from the throne room of heaven this is how God loves you so my faith may be wobbly but my savior is not the king is not my faith may be fragile but my king is not fragile my my savior is not weak I might be a basket case but my God is not. Now notice with me finally as we close. Let me give you some advice from the Apostle John on what to do. Notice what he says there as he finishes the text. Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. You want to know what to do when your faith is fragile? Do what you're supposed to. Do what's right. Follow God's word. You, you know what? You might be having a faith crisis, but that doesn't change that Jesus said love your neighbor as yourself. You might be having a faith crisis, but that doesn't change. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for wives. Likewise, submit yourself to your husband as the church submits to Christ. You may be having a faith crisis, but the Bible's already told you how to be a husband and a wife. You might be having a faith crisis, but he's already told you you should tithe and pray and fast and worship and gather together. Listen to me now. Sometimes when we find ourselves in faith crisis, we lock down, we shut down, we become paralyzed, and we're waiting for God to reveal some magical, mystical relief or word instead of obeying what he's already told us to do. When you have a faith crisis, Open God's Word where 99.99999% of His will is already revealed in clear text and do what it says. When you're having a faith crisis, obey the facts. Follow the truth. Stick to the commandments. Abide in God. My kids will often feel like they're mad at me. But that won't change the fact they better do their chores. My wife and I may feel like our marriage is at a moment where we're about to fight. But that do not change the fact that we live at the same address. We do what the facts tell us. So, brothers and sisters, when you're having a faith crisis, read the Bible and obey God's commands. Abide with the Lord. Don't get paralyzed. Don't stop doing what God's already told you to do. Yes, you may be in the middle of something where you really need to hear from God, where you really need to know what God is doing. You're in a crisis, you're hurting, you're harmed, you're struggling, you you got a real faith issue. But don't stop doing all the other things that God's told you to do while you wait for the answer there. In fact, I would say to you, and this is certainly just opinion, that when we start doing all these other things God's told us to do, that starts to work out on itself. When obedience takes place and abiding takes place, then the thing we're wrestling with or hurting over or trying to figure out begins to soften or open or move or God shows us something because we're doing what He's told us to do. So here's what John says. When your faith is fragile, when it's weak, remember the facts, remember to pray, and remember to abide. And he says there in the end of the chapter that abiding means obedience. Would you pray with me, Father? We feel fragile, and we don't know what to do. But John tells us to obey. And so, Lord, I I pray right now that there are some in this room that are facing some serious faith issues. It might be in their marriage. It might be in their parenting. It it might be just in, in grief, sadness, brokenness. It might be an uncertainty of decisions that have to be made. It might be, Father, that they find themselves tripping over sin, over and over and over, and they're, they're feeling guilty and weighted down. And Lord, certainly our feelings can be good. They can be used by God to show us where we're wrong. They can be used by God to point us what is right. But, but Lord, remind us that sin has affected everything. It affects the way we hear, the way we see. It affects the way we speak. It affects the way we process. And Lord, it has affected our, our feelings. And we can become wobbly. And so Lord, I pray right now for the one who's in the room that finds themselves wobbly in their faith. Lord, I pray that you would remind them through the, the Apostle John's writings that the answer to wobbly faith is pouring over the Scripture and remembering the facts of who you are. Preaching to themselves that their feelings are not the barometer of truth. You are. We do not find security in ourselves. We find it outside of ourselves in you. God, I pray for the one who they found themselves so weak or angry or feeble in their faith that they've stopped praying. They've stopped asking you for help. They've stopped asking you for clarity. They've stopped asking you for strength. Lord, I pray you'd convict them. You'd remind them that the God of all creation invites them to pray. And Lord, I, I pray for the brother or sister who claims to have faith and who walks with you, but they simply forgot to obey all the stuff you've made plain. Lord, help us do that. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. In just a moment, I'm going to say amen, and we're going to sing two verses of a song. On the first verse, I'm going to stand here at the front and I'm prepared to receive you, to pray with you, to encourage you. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I I don't even know that I have faith. I'm not sure that I've come to Christ. I don't know that God knows me. Listen to me now. Let me tell you the facts. If you don't confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come to save you, then you don't know the Lord. The Bible says very clearly that you have to come to Christ in order to know the Lord. You may feel saved. You may feel your baptism was special. You may feel the faith of your grandmother has carried you. But brothers and sisters, the facts are you must be born again. You must come to Christ. So I invite you today, repent and believe and come to Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you just feel overwhelmed and beat up. And you'd like to say, Pastor, would you just pray for me? Would you pray with me? Maybe you want to come to this altar and pray. Maybe you want to pray that the Lord would help you keep his commands and abide or That He'd give you answers in a special area that you're praying about. Maybe you want to come and say, Pastor, we want to be a part of this church. We know the facts are that we should be a part of a body of Christ. And we want to come join this one. Whatever the case may be, I pray, as we sing this first verse, you will respond in the way in which the Lord leads. Father, lead us now in Jesus' name. Amen.